Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. September 20th, 2017, and welcome to episode 389, ladies and gentlemen, 11 episodes from the Big 400 of the Mothership Broadcast of the WCWS Radio Network right here on TalkShoot.com. It is the one and the only WCWS Revolution. I am, once again, Mr. WCWS Chad Hinshaw back on the line here with you, as, of course, as we get ready to talk about our favorite subject here of all time, professional wrestling. And, of course, we will be doing that here in this or in, in uh, no particular order, but we like doing it this way anyhow. First off, we uh, will talk about our, the latest wrestling news and views. That will be conducted tonight by our 2017 Hall of Fame News Tag Team, King Ice, in the form of the Iceman himself, J.D. Jared D. Girolamo. J.D. is a 2015-17 WWS Hall of Famer. He's also, of course, part of the team that brings you WWS Raw Radio, every Monday afternoon right here on TalkShoe.com, as well, of course, a big part of all of our other shows here in the radio network. On our chat box here tonight, we have the human suplex machine, John Gross, with our wrestling history and birthdays. John, of course, is a 2000, the first 2016 WWS Hall of Famer. He's also, of course, part of the Raw Radio podcast team, of course, Raw Radio every Monday afternoon right here on TalkShoe.com. <clears throat> And it seems we do have a guest. Uh, guest five is now has, has joined us as well. Uh, um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure uh, who that is. We may have an idea who that is, but we won't. We won't guess at that right right away. But we'll find out here 
uh, during our, during the show here, of course. But, but let's welcome, of course, uh, JD and John here to episode 389. It will be a very explosive and dynamic revolution. Yes, it will. And, and as JD always says, in more ways than one. <laughs> and of course, ladies and gentlemen, our live video feed tonight will be coming from our group dedicated to Lucha Underground, Lucha U.S. Ultimate Underground. Lucha, uh, Lucha, Lucha. That's, ooh, I like that. Thank you for nice touch, JD. Uh, if you want to join us for our live video feed of episode 389 of Revolution here tonight, uh, you can join us by going to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash forward slash, excuse me, Lucha U.S. Underground Fury. And be sure to watch, like I said, our, our video, of course, for this episode. Of course, we've done several others here on this page as well. But be sure to to, to visit to visit that page along with us uh, some Lucha Underground material there as well. <clears throat> and of course, if you want to join us through the regular method here through TalkShoot.com, ladies and gentlemen. Of course, the phone number as always is one seven two four 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 seventy four forty four. Call ID one three eight zero five five pound. The magic six numbers. And by all means, ladies and gentlemen, press that one if you want to chime in on anything that we have to talk about here, which we will definitely have a whole lot to go through here this evening on Revolution 389. Let's go ahead and jump right into it, ladies and gentlemen. First off, we start off with our wrestling news abuse. Conducted tonight by King Ice, your 2017 Hall of Fame News Tag Team, in the form of the Iceman himself, J.D. Jared Geraldo. J.D., what's going on in the wrestling news scene this evening? Well, we got the following matches listed for tonight's NXT tapings, however, that were held, however, a couple weeks ago, however, three weeks ago, and here are the matches that you might see tonight on NXT on the network. Johnny Wrestling, Johnny Gargano, will be taking on Tino Sabatelli. Lacey Evans will be taking on Bianca Belair. No Way Jose will meet Laura Sullivan. And in what should be a great match, however, Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish with Adam Cole, baby, will be taking on Tyler Bate and Trent Seven in a killer main event, which should be very, very good. Meanwhile, however, apparently Jinder Mahal is receiving a little bit of heat for his remarks last night about Shinsuke Nakamura at the Oracle Center, however, in Oakland, which is where SmackDown was held. Some people said he kind of took it a little too far when he ripped on Nakamura, calling him uh, movie superstar Mr. Miyagi, shall we say. And people said that, that, uh, that some people were thinking that Nakamura might have been upset at the remarks made to Nakamura by Mahal last night. Of course, we also heard last night that Mahal and Nakamura will go at it one more time at Hell in a Cell, of course, coming up in Detroit in a few weeks at the brand new Little Caesars Arena, and of course some other matches as well, which we'll be getting into in the report. Uh, Meanwhile, Emma did not show up at Raw, however, as we know Monday night, however, and now we know why she was not at Raw Monday night. Apparently she wanted to spend a few extra days in Australia, her home country, seeing friends and family, and that's why she did not decide to fly back, however, with the superstars, however, this past weekend and show up at Raw on Monday in uh, San Jose. No word if she'll be punished because of this, but I would doubt it highly, however, so that being said, don't be surprised if there'll be nothing coming of this, however, mind you, and as a result, she will be uh, at the uh, WWE No Mercy pay-per-view this Sunday. And as far as any other matches go, of course, we know that this Saturday or Friday night in Las Vegas, it will be Cody Rhodes, however, at the ROH 
Death Before Dishonor show, however, in Las Vegas, however, taking on Minoru Suzuki, however, for the ROH Tag Team title. In addition to that, however, we got some great matches, however, coming up, however, this Friday night at the ROH show, however, and we'll tell you about some of those matches right now as we're trying to pull up the card for you. We know that Cody Rhodes, of course, will be featured in the main event, however, mind you. And I believe we'll tell you what also, who else will be on the card here in just a second. As I'm trying to get that now, right now, so bear with me. Um, I just saw it. Hold on a second. It's coming, it's coming. Bear with me here, folks. Um, uh, da, 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 da. Okay, saw it. Hold on. Okay, it will be, however... Uh, news update, RH News. Here we go. I just saw it, so bear with me here, folks. Of course, it'll be held. Uh, yeah, Min O Min O Ru R U Suzuki will be the headliner for the show on Sunday. It'll be held. Of course, I just saw it a second ago. Hold on a second. I'm trying to get this thing going here. Okay, yeah, here we go. For the ROH title, will be at Samstown Live. Also on the show includes Kushida versus Kenny King for the TV title, while the Young Bucks will be in action, I believe, however, and also Bully Ray, formerly Bubba Ray, will be in action, however, for the tag team titles, however. Uh, the, the winner, of, I believe there will be a match before that to see who will be facing Bully Ray and his team, and we'll tell you more about the card here in just a little bit, but those are just two of the matches we've heard so far that will be at the ROH show, but... That again will be the ROH Death Before Dishonor show at Samstown Live this Friday night in Sin City. Thank you very much, there, uh, JD. Uh, by the way, JD, uh, that that uh, what you just recorded here. Um, if we could, let's put that on the ROH US page to put that put more I'll word up. Yeah, I will. I'll try to get the. I'm going to try to get the line up here, and I will find that, and I will definitely put that up for everyone to see. Yes. All right. Thank you very much, here, sir. Uh, <clears throat> Great thing with Mitch J.D., of course, along with King and W.O. Duarte Smith is King Ice. Your 2017 Hall of Fame News Tag Team, they bring you all the news that's fit to print. And if it doesn't fit, they always find a way to make it fit. Now, of course, in GTS's case, the best method possible is the old-fashioned method, super glue and duct tape. You cannot beat that combination. Let's go ahead and see what John has here in the wrestling history and birthdays here uh, for, the, for, today, for today here, September the 20th. 32 years ago today... Which oh, here we go. Sorry, real quick. Here are the other matches. The Young Bucks and Adam Page will t- defend the ROH six-man titles against the winner of the match below, in which the Kingdom will take on Bully Ray and the Briscoes, Chucky e. T versus Marty Scurroll, Jay White versus Punishment Martinez, and Jay Lethal will take on Silas Young in a last-man standing match. All right. So there's your lineup from this week. And the event gets away at 9 p.m., Eastern Standard Time this Friday. Thank you very much there, uh, J.D. And, of course, like I said, ladies and gentlemen, we will need to, and like I said, uh, thank you very much, J.D., for bringing us that ROH, the ROH card here coming up here this Friday. And also, we will definitely put that on our roh team group, ROH US Honor of the Ring, so everyone, everyone can pull that up and read a little bit more about that as well. Thank you very much, J.D., for that ROH update. Very good. Uh, anyway, here, 30... Back to our wrestling history here for September the 20th. 32 years ago today, which would put it at, let me see, uh, 1985, in Long Island, New York, Captain Lou Albano, who was 52 at the time, beat Freddie Blassie, who was 
67 at the time in a steel cage match. And obviously this was Freddie Blassie's final match. 24 years ago today, which would put it at 1993, in Nagoya, Japan, Shinya Hashimoto defeated the great Muda to win the IWGP heavyweight title. And folks, if you folks, if you know my Japanese language is doing quite well. I think that's John talking. His Japanese language is doing quite yeah, well. John's been improving in his Japanese, I have to answer. Double, 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 double. <laughs> no, sorry. But no, no, that's that that's awesome, John. Very good. Thank you very much. But the win also ended Muda's four hundred day run as IWGP heavyweight champion at a, at to, at the, excuse me at the time a record for New Japan Pro Wrestling. Hashimoto would break the record with a 489-day reign spanning parts of 1996 and 1997. Twenty years ago today, 1997, J.D. may remember this right here. ECW presented As Good As It Gets from the ECW Arena in Philadelphia. Uh, here, are some of the, here are some of the events that took place here. Bill McGillicuddy defeated Bill Alfonso. This bout was known for Alfonso bleeding profusely, so in, so, so in that Alfonso had been hospitalized for several days following the event. Heyman said that Bill may have lost as much as a third of the blood in his body. That happens when you cut into an artery. Also, I've noticed this was originally scheduled to be a write-off for Alfonso. As the story goes, Alfonso was found out to be in cahoots with Todd Gordon after funneling ECW talent to WCW. He sued the company, citing anti-Semitism in 1993. When Heyman found out, Gordon got the axe. Alfonso would have would have joined him if not for his performance in the match. In the end, Bill stuck around until ECW shut down in early 2001. <clears throat> the Gangstonators defeated the Dudley Boys to win the ECW World Tag Team titles as well. Also 20 years ago today, 1997, WWF presented one night only from the NEC Arena in Birmingham, England, with a total of 11,000 in attendance and 20,000 homes watching on pay-per-view. Why was there a low number for the pay-per-view? It was only made available in the United Kingdom and Canada. In KFAB, WWF champion Bret Hart used a clause in his contract to exclude U.S. viewers from being able to see the event. The event was made available on WWF Home Video in the U.S., but with three matches removed, including the WWF title match. Then WWF champion Bret Hart was gone from was gone from, from the company by the time the event was released to American audiences to fit the video into in a two-hour window. But the entire show is included on a, on a DVD DVD release for that pay-per-view. And speaking of Bret Hart. He and The Undertaker wrestled one-on-one for the last time until August, uh, August 2010, of course, on Monday Night Raw. This was for the WWE title. Brett retained the title on a DQ victory over The Undertaker. And also, I do remember this match right here. Shawn Michaels became the first-ever Grand Slam champion in WWF history by defeating the British Bulldog, ending Bulldog's six-month reign as the European champion. I think the Bulldog had his sister. With in his corner. I think so. Yeah, it sounds like. If I'm mistaken, too. That same day, Devil Masami defeated Yoshiko Tamura to win the WCW Women's Title 
as she became the promotion's final women's champion in Kawasaki, Japan. 18 years ago today, which would put it at, yeah, I found that interesting too. 18 years ago, put it at 1999 on Raw's War from Houston, Texas. The Rock and Mankind defeated The Undertaker and The Big Show to win the WWF Tag Team titles in a dark side rules match. Well, they did beat The Undertaker and The Big Show, but also Median and Viscera, as it was originally a handicap match. But The Undertaker joined commentary. <clears throat> the Rock and Mankind were able to get assistance from Kane as Kane took Big Show's head off with a clothesline. Later on in the show, the Phenom tried to get revenge on Kane by trying to set him on fire for the fourth time, but the Rocket Mankind saved Kane from the beatdown by the Undertaker, Viscera, Median, and Big Show. Then this was the last time Undertaker used his Lord of Darkness appearance on Raw until October of 2006. His vignettes of the Lord of Darkness were shown in 2004 around WrestleMania time. Undertaker would not be show, shown on Raw again until May of 2000 when he returned as the American, you know what I'm talking about. Badass. As, yeah. The, or like I said, what, we, what I like to call the biker Undertaker. Yes. Why he, hasn't, why he hasn't shown on he hasn't shown on Raw is because he walked out in storyline and he refused to take on Triple H in a casket match the next night at the SmackDown taping. But in reality, he took time to heal a nagging groin injury. Days before he made his return, though, Undertaker tore his pectoral muscle, delaying his return until the 2000 Judgment Day. Also on the show, Vincent Mann vacated the WWF title, the championship he had won four days ago against Triple H. And not only that, Vince was reinstated into the company by Stone Cold Steve Austin. After Stone Cold put him out of power, was after Austin had defeated The Undertaker in a first blood match to retain the WWF title at Fully Loaded, but also said that the person that could bring McMahon back was Stone Cold. The reason for the, re- the reinstallation that Austin would reinstate Vince if Austin was the first man in line to challenge for the vacated WWF title in case a winner was crowned for the six-pack challenge between Big Show, The Rock, Mankind, Undertaker, Kane, and Triple H. Austin was the guest referee, and the match was won by Triple H, giving Austin a title shot against Triple H at No Mercy. But there's also more. Stephanie McMahon made her in-ring debut in an intergender tag team match and won as she and Test defeated Jeff Jarrett and Deborah. Fourteen years ago today, we put it at 2003, in Madison Square Garden at a SmackDown Live event, Brock Lesnar defeated The Undertaker in a steel cage to retain the WWE title because of interference from Vince McMahon. Thirteen years ago today, we put it at 2004, on Raw from Tucson, Arizona, future pressure cooker pitchman Gene Snitsky (laughs) delivered a signature line that became a part of WWE nomenclature, and that was, it wasn't my, my fault. fault. <laughs> it stemmed it from an incident before what happened the prior week when Slinsky, he came with a chair, causing him to bump into Lita and causing a mis- miscarriage and Lita to lose her expected child. Also, Vince McMahon announced a new pay-per-view was taking place called Taboo Tuesday and that the fans can vote for the matches and stipulations. On that same episode, Christy Hamming won the 2004 Raw Diva Search and two and two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Carmela De Cesare 
and John said he's not talking about the uh, other Carmella, their current Carmella, but Car- Carmella De Cesare was the runner-up. De Cesare was picked by the WWE, but would not stick around long afterwards as Joey Giovanni, a- Amy Weber, Maria Kanellis, and Michelle McCool would also receive contracts. Twelve years ago today, we can put it at 2005, at a SmackDown taping in Lubbock, Texas, Bobby Lashley made his WWE TV debut by defeating Simon Dean in less than three minutes. <clears throat> it was only the second fastest match on that show. Chris Benoit defended the U.S. title against Orlando Jordan, making him submit in, in, uh, in around 50 seconds. In just 50 seconds. There you go. Also, the Ordens held a mock funeral for The Undertaker, but what the Ordens realized is that they couldn't kill what was already dead. Also in the backstage segment, Eddie Guerrero claimed to be sick as he and Batista teamed to take on Mercury and Nitro in a tag team match. But Batista hired Dr. Barnett, who was a gay doctor, to take care of Eddie of Guerrero. And John says he was he apologized um, that he said the word gay on here, but don't worry about it, John. It's okay. Gay, 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 gay. Okay. <laughs> Well, John, it could have been worse good than the Jeff Dunham thing. Said one of the idols and goes homo, 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 homo. I did hear you got into some trouble with that recently. Who did? Dunham, I think. I thought I heard something about that. Who Jeff Dunham did? I think he got in a little hot water recently with that. Yeah. Ooh. I could be wrong. I mean, I'm not sure. But I okay. Thought I I'll have to check okay. on it then. Yeah, I would love to hear about that if he did. I mean, oh man. Well, at least it's on DVD, so that way you can go back and whatever, always listen to it. Him, him, and, him and Angry Ahmed. Or Walter. It was, no, it was Walter. Yeah, it oh, was that, a, oh, okay. If it was Walter, then it would be okay, I think. Yeah, yeah. Let me see. Wait a minute. Hold on. Before I finish this, hold on. Yeah, see if you can find the clip. we got to find the clip here. Yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll have to look for that. But I... I uh, I think it was Walter. I think it, that sounds right to me. I think it was Walter, or it was. The only one I could have think it could have been it could have been Peanut, but I think that I think it came early in the show. Yeah. So I think it was Walter because Walter was the very first one he did. Yeah. So, oh, we'll, we'll look at we'll look at that. We'll look into that one. We'll look at it later on, man. That's no problem. But yeah, but that that was it was a funny line. But yeah, I mean, of course, I, I mean, I'm not, we're not making fun of it. We're not making fun of that. No. By, Either, but but I mean, it's, just, it's just funny the way it sounds to me. Yes. Yeah. That's all. Yeah, that's it. <clears throat> yeah. Eleven years ago today, put it in 2006, WWE released Marty Wright, who wrestled under the gimmick The Boogeyman. Wright, who came into the WWE after initially lying about his age when he tried out for the Million Dollar Tepper Method in 2004, he was 40 at the time when he claimed to be 30 was let go when he fell behind in his rehab for his biceps injury, including missing doctor's appointments. The boogeyman would be rehired by the, by the, at the request of Booker T. He stayed with the company until March of 2009. He's made sporadic appearances from the com- with the company, including being a surprise entrant in the 2015 Warrior Rumble before being eliminated by Bray Wyatt. Talk about a creepy combo right there. That would be... Yes, oh, that would be a creepy tag team, too. Ooh. Eight years ago today, we put it at 2009 in TNA, 
uh, No Surrender from Universal Orlando. AJ Styles defeated Sting, Matt Morgan, and Kurt Angle, and Hernandez to win the TNA World Heavyweight title. Six years ago today, put it in 2011, Matt Hardy was arrested by the Moore County, North Carolina Sheriff's Office after a search warrant executed on his house found that he was in possession of anabolic steroids and ecstasy. Ooh. Yeah. Two years ago today, 2015, WWE presented Night of Champions from the Toyota Center in Houston, Texas, as there were three title changes. First off, Kevin Owens defeated right back to win the IC title. Charlotte defeated Nikki Bella by submission to win the Divas title. If Nikki, if Nikki was counted out or disqualified, Charlotte would have won the women's belt. And John Cena defeated Seth Rollins to regain the U.S. title. There was one non-championship match as Seth, as, I mean, I'm sorry, as Dean Ambrose and Roman Reigns. Mystery partner was revealed to be Chris Jericho against the Wyatt family. Jericho had not wrestled since December of 2014 when he last took on Paul Heyman in a no-holds-barred match. Seth Rollins did not leave Texas empty-handed as he successfully retained the WWE Championship against Sting as Sting took a fall on the announce table and, and, um, and hurt his neck. Ooh. In December, Sting underwent surgery to correct cervical spinal stenosis. In April 2016, he announced his retirement during his induction to the WWE Hall of Fame. After the Rollins-Sting match, Sheamus tried to cash in his money to bank briefcase, but was stopped by Demon Kane. Demon Kane returned to attack Sheamus and Seth Rollins. And we do have... Um, we do have some uh, birthdays here. Before I get to that part, ladies and gentlemen, I do have to step away for just one second. Uh, J.D., anything else you wish to mention, uh, please uh, go ahead and proceed. i got to step for just a couple minutes. I should be right back. Okay. one seven two four 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 seventy forty four. call ID 138055-POUND. This is episode, I believe, 388, ladies and gentlemen, 12 from 100, ladies and gentlemen, here on the Revolution show for Tuesday, or excuse me, not Tuesday, Wednesday, September 20th, 2017. Of course, you got Mr. W. Sidery, Chad Inch on the line, along with the Human Suplex Machine, John Gross, and of course, yours truly, the Iceman, Jared DiGiromo. DiGiromo, excuse me. Now, don't forget, tomorrow, ladies and gentlemen, Top Heel Inc. will be back in the saddle again at 7 p.m. with Michelle Lynn Dodds, myself, and the King of Kings, Dora T. Smith, 14562-pound, and of course, Wolfpack Radio, 138521-pound, will begin you underway just after 9 o'clock. Also this Saturday, ladies and gentlemen, be sure to check out the Power Hours. We'll be looking back at the shows of the Week in Review. The call ID is 141364-POUND. That'll be getting underway just after 4 o'clock coming up this week, ladies and gentlemen, here on TalkShoe. Also, ladies and gentlemen, Saturday night, don't forget to listen to Attitude Radio for a very special edition, I'm sure, of No Mercy and Giving the Early Predictions and Thoughts of the Show with Gerard and Michelle, of course, the king and queen of Saturday Night Live, if you will, 138982. And, of course, you can also check them out on Top Peel tomorrow, as I said, 14562-pound. And, of course, don't forget this Sunday, ladies and gentlemen, we will have a very special edition at 5 p.m. with No Mercy. We will have some bets being made, I'm sure, and also give you our early predictions and thoughts about the big lineup. And then, of course, Raw Radio will start you off with a new week, covering the last week of September in style, as we will look ahead to uh, Monday Night Raw and preview Hell in a Cell, and also take you back to uh, what happened Sunday night in Los Angeles, as well as give you the latest news, however, as well as birthdays and dates from John. Of course, we'll also be talking a little more about college football and pro football from the past weekend as well, and anything else in between, so be sure to check that out this week. Yes, indeed. Uh, thank you very much, sir, J.D. I do appreciate that cover. Uh, again, we get to 
we get to some birthdays, and we got some we got a couple of big ones. I will mention several here before we several here <coughs> before we get to the big ones. <coughs> Excuse me for just one second. Catch my breath there. Sorry about that, folks. Uh, first off, uh, happy 35th birthday to Sexy Star. Hmm. Happy 41st birthday to, uh, I think you might know this fellow here, J.D. He might have something to do with ECW, Joel Gertner. Yes, the quintessential stud muffin who was uh, Joey Styles' uh, right-hand man and was also the manager of the Dudleys early on in their career. Right. right. John put Jose, but I think it's supposed to be. It's Joel, isn't it? Joel, J-O-E-L, yes. Yeah, okay. Uh, also, happy 52nd birthday to, I do believe, an announcer during the days of WCW, I think, uh, Scott Hudson. Yes, on the last voices. Yes, indeed. And here are two big birthdays John will have to announce. First off, today is a happy 66th, 66th birthday to Greg Valentine, the hammer. Yes. Yes. And John said he has the history, and here it is. Oh, and uh, real quick, however, before we continue on, however, with last birthday, for last birthday, I do want to give a special shout-out also to one of our very own Hall of Famers, however, who is celebrating a birthday today, and it is the franchise himself, my cousin, Dan DiGirolamo. Oh, yes, of course, we inducted him to, we inducted, uh, this is J.D.'s cousin, of course, we inducted him to the Hall of Fame here this year, so... But yes, yes. Happy birthday to to the franchise as well. We hope to hear him come back uh, on the shows here, hopefully, really soon. Oh, and uh, I do have also some sad news to report tonight. However, in the world of entertainment, I just found this out just now within the last hour. Bernie Bernie Casey. Does that name ring a bell to you? Bernie Casey. Yes, he was a football star. He was also UN Jefferson in Revenge of the Nerds. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He's passed away tonight at the age of 78. Was he the guy that played the... Uh... U.N. Jefferson. Right. Yeah. Right. But was he was he the one that played the... Um... Oh, gosh, I'm trying to remember. The commanding officer in Spies Like Us. Uh, yeah, I think it was. If I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull up his bio right now, I think so, yeah. Uh, let me see here. I'm going to look at his bio. He also played yeah. football for the 49ers and the Rams in his career. He was a pro bowler. Uh, yes, Colonel, yes, he was. He was the Colonel. He was U.N. Jefferson. He, he, he was J.C. Carolina, Brian Song. He was also uh, Mr. Ryan and Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, among others. And like I said, he died today at the age of 78. However, he, of course, was uh, born in Waco, West Virginia. Of course, he played... Seven years in the league, coming from the university, from Bowling Green University, was a ninth round or first round pick in the ninth pick overall in 1961. So uh, he, of course, was born in Waco, West Virginia. Waco, of course, is located in Wyoming County, West Virginia, of course, along Route 16. So, uh, yes, Bernie Casey, Mr. Ryan, Ewan Jefferson, and of course, J.C. Caroline. And he's been in other movies like uh, Cleopatra Jones, Boxcar Bertha, Another 48 Hours. And uh, he was also in, uh, like you said, Spies Like Us and Never Say Never Again as Felix. So our thoughts and prayers are with his friends and family tonight. And Bernie Casey is gone at the age of 78. Thank you very much, Mr. Casey. Our thoughts and prayers are, as uh, J.D. said, with, with the family of Lord One. A very a, a truly remarkable actor, in my personal opinion. Yes, indeed. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a happy 66th birthday to 
2004 Hall of Famer Greg the Hammer Valentine. And here is, here is some, some history on him. He was, of course, born, we've heard this many times, in Seattle, Washington. As he traveled around Texas in his teens with his father, after a summer, and after a summer vacation, he dropped out of college to become a wrestler. He trained under Stu Hart in 1970 in Calgary. Not long ago, he wrestled his debut match in July of 1970, but lost in around five minutes. He relocated to Detroit to complete his training under the Sheik. The audience, the original Sheik. That's the right. Yes, yeah, right. That's right. That was, that was yeah. Sabu's uncle. Sabu's uncle. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that, I remember that. I think him he and trained all a lot, not only uh, Sabu, but he did train a lot of other people. Like he said, Greg Valentine, and I'll have to look at his bio one of these times and check out the other guys he trained. Are you going to do that? I'm going to finish this on uh, Greg Valentine. Wanted to take his father's ring name. He wrestled as Babyface Nelson, only to become Johnny Fargo, one half of the Fargo brothers, with Don Fargo between 71 and 74. The Fargo brothers initially, initially competed in the Buffalo and Cleveland-based NWF before they moved on to Texas. They split in 1974, and Wisniewski went to Florida, where he performed as Johnny Valentine Jr. He changed his ring name later to Greg Valentine and was billed as Johnny Valentine's brother. He worked in Los Angeles and in Japan under Antonio Inoki in 1975 and early 1976. In August 1976, he debuted in Jim Crockett and George Scott's Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. Valentine was hired to replace his father, who was forced to retire after he broke his back in a plane crash. In 1975. Yeah, guys like Scott Steiner, Raven, Rob Van Dam, Taboo. Uh, he, of course, had his wife, the Princess Mansion, Eddie the Brain, Creechman, uh, George Crybaby Buchanan, and, of course, uh, the Grand Wizard was one of his managers. Of course, he died in November 2013, however, but he wrestled from, he was 25, however, when he began his career in 1949. He also feuded with Bruno San Martino briefly in the late 60s. And he retired in the mid-90s, however, late 90s, 1998. So he was in the business a long time, known as the Sheik of Araby, standing 5'11", 240. Uh, he, of course, fought Terry Funk. He held the United States Heavyweight Championship one time, the NWA Detroit title, U.S. Heavyweight title record 12 times, Japan Wrestling Association United National Championship once, and uh, Cauliflower Club Honoree in 1995 in the Texas Heavyweight Championship once as well as the U.S. Heavyweight Championship in the WWF twice, and as a Hall of Famer in 2007. Thank you very much there, KD. Uh, of course, uh, Greg Valentine here, he retired Johnny Weaver by hitting him with a top-rope elbow drop. Valentine's elbow was promoted as a dangerous and deadly move, with tapes of him breaking wooden boards with his elbow, shown to the audiences before his debut. He teamed up with Rick Flair, with whom he won the NWA World Tag Team title and the NWA Mid-Atlantic Tag Team title in June <clears throat> and, and August of 1977. They first beat Gene and Ole Anderson on December 26, 1976. And John said, in my neck of the woods here in Greensboro, hmm. Flair and Valentine split up in 1978 after they were stripped of the titles, and Flair set his sights on the NWA World title. Uh, Valentine held the NWA World Tag Team Championships once more with Baron Von Raschke in 1978. Valentine feuded with Chief Wahoo McDaniel over the NWA Mid-Atlantic Heavyweight title. Wahoo cost Valentine and Flair their first tag team championships in June of 1977. Valentine defeated Wahoo in Raleigh, North Carolina, breaking his leg in the process. The 
the heel Valentine began wearing a T-shirt that said, I broke Wahoo's leg on the front. I remember that. And no more Wahoo on the back. Wahoo returned on August 9, 1977, to take back the championship. Valentine would recapture the belt once more until losing in 1978 to Ken Patera. Valentine worked for the WWF in 1978, owned by Vincent, of course, Vince, Vince McMahon Sr., managed by the Grand Wizard. In February 1979, he wrestled WWF champion Bob Backlund for a one-hour title limit draw. That was a great match. match. I just watched that match, actually, two weeks ago. Ooh, okay. He returned to NWA to try to reform a tag team with Flair, but Flair refused. Valentine and Ray Stevens won the world tag team titles in 1980, but was stripped of the belts. Valentine and Flair then had a rivalry in where Valentine defeated Flair on July 26, 1980 to regain the NWA United States title. He held the belt. Until he was beaten by Flair, he held the United States title in 1982, renewing his feud with Wahoo, and beat him for the title on November the 4th with the assistance of his manager, Sir Oliver Humperdinck. Roddy Piper began pursuing the title, and the two had a brutal dog collar match. We talked about this all the time at Starcade 1983. Piper defeated Valentine in the dog collar match, probably one of the most talked about matches in, well, Johnson's WWE history, but of course that was... Uh, that was a, that was of course back in the NWA WCW days. That is still one of my top ten favorite matches. I mean, him and Piper just beating the holy Jesus out of each other at Starcade '83. What can you say about that? Oh, what can you say? I mean, that was a brutal, that was a brutal encounter. Yes, indeed. Valentine would leave the WWF where he returned, <clears throat> and then he returned to the WWF for a year in 1981 and continued to pursue the WWF title on October 19th. He was beaten by Backlund and was handed the belt by the day's referee. The title was held up and Backlund beat Valentine in the November 23rd rematch. January 1982, Backlund and Valentine ended the feud in a steel cage match for the heavyweight title, with Backlund winning it cleanly. He then feuded with Pedro Morales over the Intercontinental title, who he injured by suplexing him on the concrete floor of the arena. Valentine wasn't successful in winning this title either, and in mid-1982 left the promotion. Valentine returned to the WWF in 1984, predicting that Vince McMahon's plan would succeed. He was managed by Captain Lou Albano, but was later managed by Jimmy Hart. In London, Ontario, he beat Tito Santana for the Intercontinental title. Santana thought he had the match won, but in fact, he only achieved a two-count. As Santana was celebrating, Valentine rolled him up for the pin and took the title. Afterwards, Valentine put Santana in the figure four leg lock, re-injuring him, while Santana was still on the sidelines having leg injury. Valentine feuded with the Junkyard Dog, who he faced in the Intercontinental title match at the very first WrestleMania, which was held in Madison Square Garden on March 31, 1985. Valentine pinned JYD after using the ropes, but Santana informed a referee about that who restarted the match. Valentine walked out, losing the match by countout, but saving his title. The feud between Valentine and Santana finally came to a head in Baltimore, in July of 85, Santana won back the Intercontinental title in a cage match over Valentine. Valentine held the Intercontinental title for 285 days. After losing the title, he formed a tag team with Bruce Beefcake, of course known as the Dream Team, in August of 1985. They became the WWF tag team, uh, tag team champions by defeating Barry Windham and Mike Rotundo. They held the belts until WrestleMania II when they were beaten by the British Bulldogs. At WrestleMania three, they beat the Ruggio brothers with interference from Johnny V and Dino Bravo. 
Valentine abandoned Beefcake, resulting in Brutus turning face later on in the night, forced to help Roddy Piper against Adrian Adonis. Replacing Beefcake with Dino Bravo, Valentine formed the new Dream Team, and he was unhappy about teaming with Bravo, who he felt had little chemistry with after the WF asked him to kidnap Matilda, the bulldog mascot of the British Bulldogs. And after that happened, Valentine resigned. He was brought back soon after with Jimmy Hart again as his new manager, but was used in a much diminished role between 1987 and 1990. He entered the WWF title tournament at WrestleMania IV, where he beat Ricky Steamboat in the first round, but he lost to Randy Savage, who eventually, of course, won the whole tournament. In the quarterfinals of 1988, he had feuded with Don Malacca, who had turned face a year earlier. But Valentine attacked Morocco's manager, Billy Graham. Graham was severely beaten, and Valentine used a figure four leg lock on Graham, who had a plastic hip. The feud came to a halt when Morocco was dismissed from the WWF, despite Valentine's pleas for Morocco not to be fired. In April of 1989, he feuded with Ronnie Garvin, and defeated Garvin in a retirement match on Superstars of Wrestling by reversing a small package and holding on to the ropes. Garvin was a referee until Valentine and Hart matched to have him fired. He aggravated Valentine as a ring announcer at SummerSlam 1989. Garvin announced Valentine as Hercules' so-called opponent. At the 1990 Royal Rumble, the feud between these two came to a head in a submission match. I actually just watched this uh, today. That was a great match. At the 1990 Royal Rumble, the feud between these two came to a head in a submission match with Garvin making Valentine submit to the sharpshooter. After that, Valentine teamed up with the Honky Tonk Man. Valentine re- resisted dying his hair black, but relented, and the team became known as Rhythm and Blues and was managed by Jimmy Hart. Valentine and Honky Tonk Man played Honky Love on April 1st, 1989 at WrestleMania 6, but, was, but were stopped by the Bushwhackers. Valentine was also a big part of the Undertaker's debut on November 22nd, 1990, as he teamed up with Tate DiBiase and Honky Tonk Man to take on the Hart Foundation Dusty Rhodes and Coco Beware at Survivor Series. Valentine was eliminated by Bret Hart. He became a face in December 1990, and on January 19, 1991, he entered his fourth Royal Rumble match, where he lasted 44 minutes. He feuded with the Honky Tonk Man, but Honky left the WWF before the feud could begin. Valentine did participate in the 1992 Royal Rumble for the vacated WWF title, but was eliminated by Ric Flair. Valentine headed the WCW in 1992 and teamed with Terry Taylor for six months, and the duo went on to win the WCW United States Tag Team Championship. After he was fired, Valentine was left without an angle and eventually resigned in late 1992, only to return to the, in the WWF as, at the 1993 Survivor Series under a mask as the Blue Knight in an elimination match pitting Shawn Michaels who was supposedly filling in for Jerry Lawler and his three knights, which included Barry Horwitz as the Red Knight and Jeff Gaylord as the Black Knight against the Hart family. He returned as Greg Valentine in the 1994 Royal Rumble. It was in by Rick Martell. Valentine would wrestle three 1994 house shows in the summer facing Bob Backlund on each occasion. On July 1986, he returned to WCW to face Randy Savage in Landover, Maryland. He was used sporadically on television, facing the Giant, Harlem Heat, and Lex Luger, but he was used as a jobber, but did have a 6-2 record. He wrestled four times in 1998 and was 3-1. He finished his WCW run with a victory over Pat Tanaka on February 17, 1998. 
He toured the independent circuit wrestling of re- in Japan and also with the AWF. In October of 1999, he appeared on the infamous Heroes of Wrestling defeating George Animal Steel with help from Sherry Martell. He wrestled on the 2000 tour of the United Kingdom in where, Yoko, in where, where of course, Yokozuna passed away. He was involved in the short-lived ex-wrestling federation as an investor and an in-ring performer. In January of 2005, he won a 17-man battle royal to become the IWA heavyweight champion. He would lose the belt to Tito Santana on August 27th. In May 2007, he won the Canadian Grand Prix Wrestling Championship. In March of 2004, he was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame and made an appearance at WWE Homecoming on October the 5th, attacking Rob Conway. And he was presented at the retirement ceremony of his longtime friend Rick Flair on the March 2008 episode of Raw. And speaking of Rick Flair, John says Rick Flair also has a longtime friend who also has a birthday today. It is a happy 59th birthday to Double A, Arn Anderson. I think we can do one more round of history here for him. Uh, of course, his real name was, I think, Marty Run, I think was Arn's real name. Started his career in early 1982, spending much of the year wrestling in various independent wrestling companies across the United States, including a minor run in Mid-South Wrestling for Bill Watts in 1982 and in 1983. By the middle of 1983, he made his way to Southeastern Championship Wrestling, an NWA-affiliated promotion operating out of Tennessee and Alabama taking the name of Super Olympia. He was a member of Ron Fuller's stud stable before the year was out. He teamed with Mr. Olympia and Pat Rose as he won the NWA Southeastern Tag Team titles three times with Mr. Olympia and one time with Pat Rose through 1984. It was also here in this promotion that he met Ric Flair. By the end of the year, uh, AA left the company and joined Mid-South Wrestling based out of Shreveport, Louisiana. His time in Mid-South came to an end with, in, during, a, in, during a TV taping. The junkyard doll mentioned to Bill Watts, the owner of Mid-South Wrestling, that AA looked, looked like an Anderson. Watts called Jim Crockett and convinced him to, to book the book AA. He joined Jim Crockett Jr.'s Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling based in the Virginias and the Carolinas. By this time, the company extended its, its range into Georgia after Vince McMahon purchased Georgia Championship Wrestling. There was a strong resemblance between Arn Anderson and Ole Anderson, who achieved legendary status in Georgia in the Georgia and Middle Atlantic territories as a tag team wrestler. Ole knows that his style was a no nonsense. Double A replaced Gene Anderson, reforming the Minnesota Wrecking Crew. And Double A, of course, now his name was now Arn Anderson. In March 1985, they won the NWA national tag team titles. They kept the titles throughout the year and defended the titles on Thanksgiving night against Wahoo McDaniel and Billy Jack Haynes. In the latter half of 1985, they formed an alliance with Ric Flair and Tully Blanchard. The force was frequently teamed together in a six-man and sometimes eight-man. On January 4, 1986, Anderson won the vacated NWA television title and was still one half of the NWA national tag team champions. And even though Cracker Promotions abandoned the national tag titles in March, Anderson's success as a dual champion elevated his status within the territory. It was during that time that the Andersons, Blanchard, and Flair called themselves the Four Horsemen. Of course, James J. Dillon, sir, James J. Dillon excuse me, serving as the group's manager. Anderson stayed on as NWA TV champion, but would eventually lose the title to Dusty Rhodes on September 9, 1986. 
The first setback occurred at Starcade 86 when Anderson's lost a cage match to the Rock and Roll Express. After Ole's return in February of 1987, the other horsemen turned on him and threw him out of the group, resulting in Ole incurring numerous attacks over the next several months. Afterwards, Ole was replaced with Lex Luger, and the horsemen resumed their dominance of the company. In mid-1997, <clears throat> he and fellow horsemen Tully Blanchard competed as a tag team. The duo beat the Rock and Roll Express on September 29, 1987. I think I was supposed to be 87 a while ago. The NWA World Tag Team titles. This win solidified the group's dominance in the company as Lex Luger was running NWA U.S. Heavyweight Champion and Flair spent most of 1987 as the NWA World Champion. Losing it to Ron Garvin in September only to recapture it at Starcade 87 on Thanksgiving night. Anderson and Tully continued to feud throughout the rest of the year and first few months of 1988 with the Road Warriors, the Rockwell Express, and the Midnight Express being their most frequent rivals. By December 1987, Luger defected from the Horsemen and began a heated feud with the group, with Ric Flair especially in early of 1988. Luger and Barry Windham formed a tag team to take on Anderson and Blanchard. After losing the titles of Luger and Windham, they would recapture the titles on March 27, 1988. Their last match in NWA took place on September 10, 1988, and they dropped the belts to the Midnight Express before leaving for the WWF. They joined Vincent Mann's WWF, naming, them, naming themselves the Brainbusters. The team took Bobby Heenan as their manager. In 1989, they won the tag team titles over Demolition in the summer, but would lose the titles to Demolition in November. They left the WWF in December 1989, as Crockett's company was now called WCW. Anderson reformed the Horsemen and regained the NWA World TV title on January 2, 1990. Anderson stayed champion the entire year, before dropping it to Tom Zink. Anderson recaptured it in January of 1991. Before dropping it to Bobby Eaton, later that year in the summer, he teamed up with Larry Zbysko, calling themselves the Enforcers. On September, in September 1991, they won the WCW World Tag Team titles, but will lose the belts to Dustin Rhodes and Ricky Steamboat. Anderson and Zbysko split up after Bobby Eaton would join Arn Anderson. They won the titles in January 1992 and defended the titles against up-and-all-comers up before losing to the Steiner brothers in May. In May 1993, Anderson reformed the Four Horsemen with Ole and Ric Flair. They introduced Paul Roma as their newest member. Anderson and Roma won the WCW World Tag Team titles in August, but the group split and was seen as a dismal failure by WCW. Let's see. Anderson's last title run was in January 1995, winning the TV title over Johnny B. Bad. He held it for six months until dropping it to the Renegade. By the end of 1996, Anderson rarely competed in the ring as years of wear and tear on his body finally caught up with him. In August 1997, he announced his retirement from the ring, surrounded by Ric Flair, Steve McMichael, and Chris Benoit. Anderson declared that his last act as the enforcer of the Four Horsemen was to offer his spot to Kurt Henning as he was forced to retire due to extensive neck and back injuries. On the September 1998 edition of Nitro, Anderson ceremoniously introduced Ric Flair to WCW after his 12-month hiatus. They reformed the horsemen he feuded with Eric Bischoff. Flair defeated Bischoff to become president of WCW and also defeated Hulk Hogan in the Uncensored 1999 to win the WCW title.
WCW was purchased by the WWF in 2001, ending Anderson's tenure there after his post-retirement and not long after the closing of WCW. Anderson was a road agent for WWE. After the WCW-ECW invasion storyline, he commentated with Scott Hudson in July of 2001. He also made an appearance on Raw in 2002, delivering a video to Triple H. Before he was scheduled to renew his wedding vows to Stephanie McMahon, he was also beaten down by the Undertaker leading up to, to Taker versus Flair at WrestleMania 18. He would interfere in the match to try to help Flair defeat the Undertaker by hitting the Undertaker. With his signature spine buster, Taker won the match. Anderson turned heel again by helping Rick Flair against Stone Cold Steve Austin. Leading to Austin urinating on him. <laughs> I remember that moment. But he became a face once again and intended to help Flair gain some sole ownership of WWE. During a match with Vince McMahon, that backed down from the confrontation with Brock Lesnar, who entered the ring to assist McMahon. Anderson was also involved in another McMahon incident when Kane tried to attack Linda McMahon. Anderson tried to stop Kane, but Kane attacked him. Anderson made a special appearance at the October 2006 Raw family reunion where he was in Rick Flair's corner. He was in the corner of Rick Flair, Sergeant Slaughter, Dusty Rhodes, and Farouk, of course, Rob Simmons, against the Spirit Squad at Survivor Series in 2006. There was a check from the arena, also like Greg Valentine. He also came out to say his final goodbye to Rick Flair on March 31st, 2008. He was also beaten down by the Nexus in late 2010. And last year, he was one of the people asked by Heath Slater to become his tag team partner. But Blaney refused, but weeks ago, John says if he believes this, Anderson was a guest on the Fashion Peaks 
revealing that he was the one destroying Brizongo's toy house and boasting that he was the best horse from the Four Horsemen and that Telly should Telly should have been named Arn. I remember that. And John said that is all that he's got for the history of Mortis for today. So happy birthday to, of course, Greg Valentine and also Arn Anderson, as well as some of the others that we did mention here earlier. So John, thank you very much for that rest of history. And, of course, J.D., thank you very much for the rest of the news and news here for this evening. 1724-444-7444, call ID 138055-POUND. This is episode 389 of the Mothership Broadcast, WWS Revolution. This is Wednesday, September 20th, 2017. And, of course, Mr. WWS, Chad Hinshaw, back on the line here with you, alongside, of course, two members of the Raw Radio Broadcast team, the Iceman J.D. Jared DiGiolamo, a 2015-17 Hall of Famer, and the human suplex machine, John Gross, the first 2016 WWS Hall of Famer as well. Well, gentlemen, we'll go ahead and dive right on into our, our talk here about last night's SmackDown. Uh, who would like to go first? I think we're going to put John on the spot. You're going you to put John on the spot? Yeah, because I'm waiting to spew. Oh, you're waiting on something? No, I'm just waiting to spew my venom. I can wait a little longer. Okay, because I'm sure you have a lot to say about last night. Okay. Okay, let's go ahead and see what John has up here so far. He's he's, he's gathering up now, but I'll go ahead and read what he's got up so far. John said that before our show came on last night, he did watch SmackDown. Shane kicked off the show talking about the attack, the attack, uh, the attack, on, from Kevin Owens towards Vincent Mann, and there was a match between Aiden English and Randy Orton. Good at Orton shut English's mouth up, and then Bruce F. Wants, wants to whine and complain about another match against Orton. But it looks like it's a two for the price of one. Orton's going to have to pull double duty again. But this time the match is quick. Bruce F. wins against Orton. Uh, John says uh, the Jinder Mahal promo don't know what that was all about. The U.S. title match did not happen because of Ty Dillinger. Uh, John believes that he, he says he thinks that Dillinger, AJ Styles, and Baron Corbin will face off in a triple threat for the U.S. title with Hell in a Cell. I do believe that is correct. Um, I think so, yeah. It's not funny to me, too. Um, let's see. Charlotte comes out talks about her dad. John's glad that Charlotte came back to talk about her father. Dad's class act, class act respect for Charlotte. I would agree with that. I definitely would. John says that one time he lost all respect for Charlotte when he she badmouthed her father like that last year, but now she. Now he thinks that he's that he's he said he's gained a lot of respect for Charlotte. It's only gonna be a matter of time before she gets back to the top to make her father proud. And John believes he believes that time is now. <laughs> Ah, a little bit of Cena there, aren't you there, John? 
She also wins the Fatal 4-Way match against Benamina, Naomi, and Becky Lynch. They will face Natalia for the women's title under Blue Bat, also at Hell on the Cell. Charlotte and Natalia should be interesting. But John says, for the love of God, I just hope Carmella does not ruin Charlotte's moment if she wins the title. Would that be a slap in the face to Ric Flair and his family? I agree. I agree with that, too. Indeed. And John, that's all he's got for his review of last night's SmackDown Live. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you thought JD's review of Raw last night was big, this one's probably going to be about like that, maybe a little bit bigger. So let's go ahead and see what he has to say right here. Uh, JD, if you will, please, sir, go ahead and take it away. Okay. Hold on a second. I'm just trying to get something going here at the same time, so bear with me here, folks. Okay, as we know, Raw last night was at the Oracle Center in Oakland, California, where they did not have a very strong crowd yet again. And it seems like the last few weeks, how they have been really having a tough time getting the crowds to come to the shows. It stems back from last Monday, obviously, with what happened in Anaheim to what happened last Tuesday in Las Vegas, and, of course, with what happened Monday in San Jose. As John said, of course, we had a very interesting way to kick off the show, of course, with Shane McMahon addressing Kevin Owens. However, after Kevin Owens laid out Shane's father last week, Vinnie Mac himself, Mr. McMahon. Uh, from there, of course, we saw the tension being built up, of course, between those two. However, mind you, however, it looks like it is now a go, however, more than likely for the uh, big pay-per-view coming up in a few weeks in Detroit at Hell in a Cell in Detroit Rock City. Of course, we then had our first match of the night, which was the Viper, Randy Orton, however, taking on, of course, everyone's favorite, of course, uh, everyone's favorite stupid singing guy, Aiden English in his stupid voice, if you will. Randy, of course, won the match, however, but then who decides to show up however, afterward, however, and whine and bitch and piss and moan, as always, but the Bulgarian bitch himself, Rusev. And, of course, thanks to the distraction from English, however, once again, Randy gets screwed over, just when it looked like he had everything in control, however, and because of idiot... Aiden English, however, who lost moments before and should have been back in the locker room crying and pouting like the uh, sorry child he was, however. He has to help apparently his new friend, I guess, at least on this night, however, Mr. English, Mr. not Mr. English, uh, Mr. Rusev, if you will, however, got help from Mr. English, which was really, really dumb, I think. Next, we were supposed to have the AJ Corbin match. That never happened, apparently, because of what happened with Ty Dillinger, and like John said, I have a funny feeling it's setting up that way for the triple threat match, possibly for Hell in a Cell. Also, we heard, of course, believe it or not, however, that apparently, however, coming up at Hell in a Cell, however, we're going to see the New Day taking on the Usos once again in the tag team scene, however, at Hell in a Cell. I mean, I'm sorry, but I am getting sick to death of seeing the same old, same old Howard as far as the tag teams go. And once again, they just show that they continue to crap way big time all over Brizongo, who are now on 205 Live, apparently, and not on SmackDown, when they should be on SmackDown, which was ridiculous that they didn't even have them last night at all on SmackDown.
down again. Uh, let's see, what else happened? Oh, yes, the whole Nakamura Jinder Mahal. I'm going to get into that now. What Jinder Mahal said to Nakamura was absolutely, in a word, despicable and classless in any sense of the word. Once again, apparently, trying to get his point, I understand he's his heel, trying to get his point across. Okay, I get that. But to make fun of a man's race, however, and background, that is just wrong. That is beyond wrong. But of course, Jinder had to have his little bitch boys, the Indian J&J security, if you will, however, of the Singh brothers, his boyfriends, if you will, just like the Miz has his Miz Tourage. Jinder, the no-balls man, Mahal, has to have his uh, little boyfriends with him because, obviously, he can't do anything by himself. And as I said many times over, and I want to keep on stressing this point, however, I hope to God, however, and I've said this so many times, so I'm blue in the face, however, I hope come, however, hell in a cell, that Jinder will be feeling hell in the cell. He's been, I mean, don't get me wrong, he's been a, not a bad, I mean, I'm not saying he's been a bad champion, but he's been a lucky-ass champion in the last three months since he's won the belt. He got lucky stealing the title at Backlash in Chicago, thanks to help, and in the three months since he's defended the belt, however, every time he always seems to pull it out by the skin of his teeth because of his boyfriend's help, or he has to have someone else help him. Well, guess what, Jinder? Come Detroit Rock City, however, in Hell in a Cell in two weeks, my friend. There will be no help for you this time. There will be no retreat or no surrender, as they say. Because this time, my friend, you will be taken down to hell. One way or another, from a Kinshasa from Nakamura, or somehow Nakamura will do something else to put you down. I mean, you have had, I would say, a very, let's just say, unique, interesting reign so far as champion. You've had a not interesting range champ. And you've been lucky every time, getting out every time by the skin of your teeth. Well, guess what? That's going to change in a few weeks, however, at Hell in a Cell. Because you will be paying the price, my friend. You will be paying the price. As far as the women's matchup goes, I was really surprised they went with this in the main event, however, but it was good to see Charlotte win. However, I was a little surprised that my girl Becky would not win, and it looks like they're going back once again to rehashing an old feud between Charlotte and Natty. Now, like John said earlier, however, and John brings up a very good point, I hope to God that Carmel Dahoski and the little nerd, Mr. Ellsworth, do not get themselves involved in Hell in a Cell in Detroit in a few weeks. Because if you do, however, like John said it best, however, it would be absolutely disgraceful and despicable that she would leave with gold in Detroit Rock City. I mean, we don't know when she's going to cash it in, if at all, however, but anything can happen, we know. But like I said, I hope to God that it's a decent match at Hell in a Cell with those two, referring to Charlotte and Eddie, we'll have to wait and see, obviously. But like I said, however, time will only tell. But like I said, if you give her the belt, however, referring to, uh, like I said, however, Carmella, however, at Hell in a Cell, however, then you're setting yourself up for a big-time, major backlash. Not just for me, not just, like I said, not just for me, however, but from fans everywhere. Because you do not deserve it. You do not I'm sorry. 
Um, the other thing, let's see what also happened last night. I'm going to try to see here what also happened last night. Uh, we had, uh, obviously, the New Day versus the Hype Bros. It looks like they're definitely splitting up the Hype Bros pretty soon, I feel. The question is, when is it going to happen? I can see it happen very soon. And my other point, however, before I get into a little bit of 205 Live Talk, is the whole thing with Dolph Ziggler. Once again, Dolph Ziggler continues to act like the biggest douchebag in the company. First off, he makes fun of Shawn Michaels. Then he decides to take it one step further, or before, actually, he made that second, I should say. First, he decides to mock Triple H. Then he makes fun of Shawn Michaels. And then, however, I guess he tried something else, however. But, of course, he said all people care about is elaborate, so they don't appreciate the greatest performer in history, and they don't care about him whatsoever, and he doesn't care about them either. Okay, Dolph, you tell me this, my friend. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. When have you become, like, the Miz on Tuesday nights? Have you copied your style like your old friend, the Miz, and acting like the biggest douchebag on Tuesday nights. Seriously. I mean, you continue to disgrace yourself every week by mocking people of legends past and present. What's next? Next week. You're going to mock Hulk Hogan? You're going to mock Randy Savage? You're going to mock Bruno San Martino? I'm sorry. WWE right now would be best if they should just give this guy his pink slip. This guy continues to be a waste of space. He's not doing anything exciting at all. And unless they have plans for him down the road to continue to do this tower, and then someone put him in his place. And I hope someone like Bobby Roode, who again was not on last night, which was bullshit, however, mind you, however, in more ways than one, however, put him in his place, however, then what's the point of keeping Ziggler? Now let me talk about 205 Live briefly for just a minute. The whole thing with Neville and Enzo was interesting to close out the show. But obviously, once again, you had to have Cedric Alexander taking on the Brian Kendrick, who was probably with his new buddy, Mr. Jack Gallagher, who turned heel last week. And of course, once again, we had Titus Worldwide brand superstar Akira Tozawa versus the Scottish Supernova, the Brad Maddox of the WWE, as I like to call them, the other big nerd, Noam Dar. I said this before, and I said, and I'll say it again. What are they trying to do with that show? Seriously. I mean, you have these guys, however, that were trying to make an impact, however, on Raw, however, like Dar, like Gallagher, like Swan, like Gulak, Metalik, all those guys. And instead, now, you're basically pissing again all over the Cruiserweight division, big time. You did it this week by basically having Neville win an easy-peasy matchup in three minutes against his uh, opponent, which I believe was, yeah, was Metalik. But what are you doing, really, uh, as far as the Cruiserweight division anymore? You're not doing anything exciting. You're continuing to make us sit back and be bored by it. Case in point, however, you have these warm-up matches every week, usually before main event, before, uh, like I said, SmackDown or Raw, either on main event, however, or on 205 Live. I think it's time WWE, however, has got to pull the plug on 205 Live. Not at the end of the year, not next week, not during the next month, but now. 205 Live is like what ECW was on Sci-Fi, however, the last few years. Barely getting by and barely getting people watching. So, 
Right now, if I'm WWE, however, you better start taking a look, however, at your future, however, of replacing it with something else. Whether it be a special, however, like maybe say, uh, uh, maybe putting more decent programming on, like something worthwhile watching, without the network being covered, however, like a uh, sort of like a Velocity or Sunday Night Heat type thing, however, or something more entertaining than this. Because the cruiserweight division is just dying a slow death right now. And it's not going to get any better. And, and I'll tell you why tomorrow night when I give you my thoughts about the Neville-Enzo match. But let me just say, however, this week's show was good in some doses. Little bit of doses. But the only highlight for me was that main event. So once again, it was a one-match show. And it continues to be lackluster. So you better start stepping up, WWE. Because right now, not only Raw is getting worse and worse every week, but SmackDown's Raw, SmackDown is starting to get there too. And they better start improving it. And they better improve it quick. Because if they don't, they're going to continue to get more complaints from me and just about everyone out there. First off, all i got to say is, wow. Absolutely unbelievable there, J.D. Thank you very much there, sir. And John, thank you very much for your thoughts and opinions. About last night's edition of SmackDown Live. Let's take care of this one more time here, ladies and gentlemen, as we approach, of course, the 1030 hour. 1724-444-7444. Call ID 138055 pound. This is episode 389 of the Mothership Broadcast WWS Revolution. Of course, for Wednesday, September 20th, 2017. Once again, Mr. WWS Chad Hinchell back on the line here with you. Join us out, joined, of course, by the Iceman JD Jerry Geralmo and the human suplex machine, John Gross. Uh, let's see here. Uh, hmm. Well, let's see here. we got about 30 minutes here, guys. Um, Mm, I did read something that will be interesting to you. Please, please feel free. Okay, as we all know, however, mind you, however, uh, this is courtesy of our friends at IWNerd.com, and here is the story, however. Edge reveals how in a recent episode of The Pot of Awesomeness that he discussed his first, however, mind you, in the bank cashing in 2006, however. Vince McMahon, of course, came out, and we all know what happened. Vince said to Edge in the moment, it was a cool interaction, and this is what happened, however. He said to Vince at the time, however, Vince told him, prove me right. Prove me right, because he was the only one that was in my corner. Everybody else either thought it was too soon after nine years with the company or didn't think it was going to work or whatever. He also said that Vince's words were extremely motivating in the moment. Hearing that right about what I'm about to catch, I was ready to chew the world apart. Now, this Vince also revealed what Vince said to him, however, mind you, before his Hell in a Cell match against The Undertaker. Mind you, I'm trying to find it. In fact, he went on to say this, however, that they were not allowed to use color or blood in the match. This was something that Edge was extremely disappointed when he was first told the news. For me, I would say that Hell in a Cell, I remember going into that and a little story about that Hell in a Cell. We got from Vince the etiquette that day that there would be no color in that match, and I had put together this whole thing in my head that involved color and also involved me taking a choke slam through the panel, through two tables, this whole thing. 
I know I have this written down somewhere, and it wasn't going to work, and Kamala was going to work, and I'm mad. And I remember saying to Vince that day, this is the most disappointed I've ever been in a decision that I've had to try and make to do with. I guess in this company, because I was really thinking that this was the culmination of a year and a half angle. There has to be that. There has to be color. Edge also uh, thinks they think Vince was right in hindsight, and it became a challenge to try and put on a great talent cell match without using blood. I wasn't thinking further down the road of the big picture. All the things Vince has to think about, and in hindsight, he was right. He was right, and what he said that day was completely right. He said, I trust you to, to set the template for what Hell in a Cell will be going for. And I was like, oh, well, shit. What do you say to that? There's the challenge. All right, so the challenge is we've got to figure out a way to do this then. And I think we did. It still got in the soil I wanted to get across. It was fun to try, and at that point in time, the Vince Boy set the template for what Hell in a Cell would become. Yep, the match was what McMahon wanted. Yep, yep, the feedback was that's exactly what it can be going forward. It doesn't have to be gory. It doesn't have to fall bumps off the top of the cage. The challenge was, quote, you're good enough to do it without all that stuff. And I was just mad at first. And once I wrapped my mind around it, I was like, all right, cool. I love challenges. Hmm. Very, very, very interesting. Oh, here we go. Top five Shinsuke Nakamura matches that we want to see on SmackDown Live. Uh, Versus Sami Zayn. Versus Baron Corbin. Believe it or not, there's two of them. Let's see. Versus Randy Orton. We've already seen that, I think. Versus Kevin Owens. Uh, let's see here. Versus John Cena. We've seen that already, too. And versus AJ Styles, which probably will be at WrestleMania. <laughs> so there you go. My goodness. And then, here's some other things. WrestleMania 40. Uh, let me pull it up, however. Uh, where is it? I just saw it. Okay, WrestleMania 40. Eight things that'll happen before the big event, however. I just had a second ago. Where was it? I just saw it a second. Uh, 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 like I said, I just saw it. Darn it, I had it. Uh, I guess they said something. Uh, let's see. Or uh, list, however. Uh, news, how I think, I know they said something about something like what will happen before 2020, however, and I think the Young Bucks were being discussed, however, or something like that, however, let me see if I can find it, however, I just saw it a second ago, oh, here we go, Carmella explains why James Ellsworth is on a leash and makes him bark like a dog. <laughs> it was actually an exclusive video they showed of it, Okay. But uh, this one is really good, and if you're obviously here, you like this one, and however, about the MSG curtain call, believe it or not. Oh. You're like this. During a roundtable interview with members of the Click, the group discussed the incident. Sean revealed that the MSG curtain call was, in fact, pre-planned, however. Michaels admits, however, that the idea was discussed between members of the group, however, on the European tour a few weeks prior. It was talked about in Europe, then it was never talked again. We had done a European tour, and then we came back and had this last run. For us, that, for us, not that we needed a reason to celebrate something, but everything was the last time we'll be doing this. The last time we'll be doing that. Michael says that none of them remember the discussion until Triple H brought it up that night. Then that night, as best I can recall, it was Hunter up and coming up and going, Hey, are we doing that thing we talked about? I don't think anybody remembered that. Uh, let's see what goes on to say here. Okay. Nash and Scott Hall, the night 
high the night before. Uh, according to reports, however, mind you, let's see, where is it here? They, okay, here are, yeah, this was due to the fact that the company had been drug tested extensively for the past few years. This is what uh, Nash said on the Stone Cold podcast. Yep, and that was back in the days, and people think that was BS, that whole drug testing era. We were drug tested. For three years, there wasn't an effort in the WWE. When I walked in that door to the day I left, there wasn't an effort taking steroids. They'll be smoking pot, booze, and pills. Well, you can get them from a doctor, and alcohol is legal. But anything illegal is not being allowed in that locker room. We were driving up to the building, and Scott goes to me, however. This is the last time I'm going to beat the car. Let's work this mother effer stoned. I said, man, I haven't been stoned for three years. We rolled out, had a little, you know, so you had a little bit of weed. You walk into MSG, and the house was like a $350,000 house, believe it or not. Uh, let's see what else is on this. Okay. Did Vince know about it? Okay. According to members of the Click, Vince did in fact know that the MSG curtain call was going to take place and he even gave the thumbs up. Scott Hall spoke about the situation on the X-Pac 1260 show. He says that when he was present, when Sean asked Vince backstage and gave him the green light. Vince knew it was going to happen. I was talking to Vince when Sean came in and said, hey, blah, 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 blah. And he went, is it important? He said, yes. He said, okay, make it happen. He said, I want Razor to come out, and I'm sitting right there. On an appearance on Vince Russo's The Brand Podcast, Kevin Nash also says something similar. He says that the group was supposed to go out to dinner with Vince and Pat Patterson to a steakhouse after the show. After making dinner plans, Sean would ask Vince permission, which Vince said yes. Originally, how are supposed to go out with Vince to Smith and Walensky's and have steak and wine? That's the plan. So Sean walks in and says to Vince, I want to do this with my boys tonight. Vince has always been does, says, Sean, how important is this? Is it that important? Sean tells Vince, yes. And Vince says, then just do it. So it is without malice that we did it. Uh, let's see, next story. Okay, here we go. One of the biggest critics, questions that critics ask about the MSG current call is why did they do it? Surely they could have figured something out that was more professional. Kevin Nash on Russo's podcast says the insults done out of love for one are not meant to be anything more. We did shit because we loved each other and had each other's back. I hate to use the word organic, but it was organic. Everything we did was organic. It wasn't preconceived. That wasn't a work that night. It was four guys who loved each other saying goodbye. Sean echoes a similar statement in the Clicks Roundtable interview. I understand people's perception of it. That's one thing that time, wisdom, and all that gives you. It wasn't done to stick anybody in the eye. It was just friends expressing their care for one another. But as a wise guy once told me, it isn't show friends, it's show business. According to members of the clique, it was a group of friends expressing their care for one another. The group didn't plan on cameras catching wind of it. By the way, I have the Click DVD, and that is a good DVD you got to watch. After the infamous MSG current call, Vince went from being okay with the incident to pissed off. So what happened? Nash on Russo's podcast would say that after they came through the current, Vince was clearly unhappy with him. By the time we got through the current, I turned to say something to Vince, and Vince turned his back to me saying, and I remember looking at something, well, it looks like Smith and Walensky's is out. This ain't going to happen. From there on in, it took a life of its own. Sean, on the other hand, would say that Vince was originally with okay with the incident after it happened. The fallout didn't happen until later, and from the Cliff Brown table, Sean says this. I remember Vince came up to me and said, did that mean a lot to you? I said, yes, it did. Then it meant a lot to me, and he was fine. It was fine that night. 
So why two separate reactions from Vince? Sean was sticking around with the company and Nash and Hall were leaving for the competitor. Even if Vince wasn't mad about the incident, he had at least had to act like for talent in his dressing room. Uh, let's see here. Next story. Okay. As we know now, the incident took on a life of its own and the four stars got involved and received a ton of, quote, backlash for exposing the business. As we as documented in the stories prior, Vince was apparently aware that it was going to take place. So why was he so upset? According to Shawn Michaels, some of the guys got into Vince's ear and made it into a big deal. It was not a big deal until it became a big deal. It didn't become a big deal to us until it became a big deal to Vince. Sean says that after the incident, Vince was getting a number of phone calls about what happened from older wrestlers who weren't happy. What happened was the same thing that had happened a lot of times. Mr. McMahon on the ride to wherever getting phone calls. Honestly, it was big to the old timers in the locker room before it was big anywhere else, however. And let's see what else it says here. Um, just I'm trying to pull up some more of the story here. So that's just some of the stories here from the infamous click call here. Da, 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 da. Just saw it too, so hold on a second. Uh, nope. Um, uh, where is it? Uh, news. Okay, hold on. I just had a second ago. Okay, here we go. I found it. Um, okay, I, okay, I gotta go back. Here we go. Okay. Uh, okay, here we go. After it spread like wildfire of the group exposing the business, Vince was forced to punish them. A lot of the traditional guys did not like that. Mr. McMahon had to put the hammer down. According to HBK, it sounds like Vince was only upset because of the backlash incident received from the locker room, however. Where was X-Pac? One of the biggest questions that people have had about this is where was X-Pac? X-Pac, however, was around a very bad place at the time, and after several incidents, Vincent was set to rehab, however. To which he says, I just ate a handful of pills and thought it was a good idea to go into the production meeting efforts, and I fell out of it in the middle of the production meeting, and Vince sent me to rehab. He says that he was in rehab during the current call, or else he would have been involved in some way. Those guys did the current call while I was in rehab. That's why I, was, I wasn't in that. It's interesting to think that would have happened to him if he was still contracted by WWE and participated. We have to imagine that he would have gotten a harsher punishment than Triple H and possibly even fired. And this is the final story about this, however. As stated many times before, we know what happened, however. And Triple H explained, however, mind you, however, what the punishment was, however. As it would only last five months until he became the IC champion and then was sent to the top of the company winning multiple championships. So it is hard to say the punishment was that harsh. They did everything they did could to just screw with me. They gave me the worst matches possible, gave me lame referees, booked me against guys I had to carry, taking me out of main event matches, and putting me in the opening card matches. They also cut my, all my angles on TV and stopped me from having any hopes of going for titles or belt. I was held back for a while. So there you go. Oh, wow. That's one of the most infamous moments in wrestling history there, folks. Uh, and uh, you're... I'm sure everyone is surprised as I am about all these events taking place and all that, you know, leading up to it and after it and everything like that. Wow. Absolutely unbelievable. Well, I thought the last few minutes of the show here, we, even though we might have done a lot of these here before, we, uh, according to, of course, our friends at IWNerd.com, 
com. Um, that we do another uh, WWE quiz. Um, now, last night we of course did one on Becky Lynch. Uh, let me uh, excuse me for just a minute here while I. Uh, yes. Okay. Here we go. Um, of course, I have all three members, the original members of the Shield. Uh, of course, I have Sasha, Charlotte, and Bailey. I have Orton, Cena, KO, AJ Styles, Finn Balor. I have both Hardys, also The Undertaker, HBK, and Triple H. Um, um, JD, you got one in mind? I'm going to take uh, a guess on Shawn Michaels tonight. Shawn Michaels, HBK, okay. All right, John, uh, JD and John, we will, of course, have 10 questions about the legendary Hall of Famer, Mr. WrestleMania himself. HBK Sean Michaels. <clears throat> Let's go ahead and, of course, uh, uh, get this rock and rolling here. For we start off with the very first question. Number one, Shawn Michaels won the WWF World Heavyweight Title for the first time in 1996. Of course, when this quote was said, "The boyhood dream has come true." Who did he defeat? Was it Diesel, Psycho Sid, The Undertaker, or Bret Hart? JD. Bret Hart. John. John also says Bret Hart. Answer is yeah, it was Bret Hart. Michaels defeated Hart in overtime in their 60-minute Iron Man match at WrestleMania 12. Another infamous match in wrestling history. Yes, indeed. Uh. Excuse me. Question number two. Shawn Michaels first retired from WWE in 1998. Who was his last opponent before retiring? Was it The Undertaker, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Triple H, or, or Owen Hart? JD. Austin. And it was Austin. And John? John also says Stone Cold, and the answer is. Yeah, it was Stone Cold. Austin defeated Shawn Michaels for the belt at WrestleMania 14. That was a great match as well. Question number three. What year did Shawn Michaels return to WWE after his retirement in 1998? Was it 2000, John also says O2, and the answer is, yep, it was an O2. Triple, uh, HBK returned in 2002 after a four-year absence. Great job there, guys. First three questions there. Very good. And son, JD just got through talking about here. Question number four. <clears throat> Excuse me. The infamous curtain call incident happened on May 19, 1996. Who was Shawn Michaels wrestling that night before the click broke KFAB? Was it Triple H, Razor Ramon, or Diesel? JD. Diesel. Said Diesel. And John, John also says Diesel. And the answer is, yep, it was Diesel. Michaels faced Diesel in the main event in a steel cage match. Triple H faced Razor Ramon in the match before. 
Uh, question number five. Shawn Michaels won the Royal Rumble in 1995. Who did he last eliminate to win that match? Was it the British Bulldog, Bret Hart, Diesel, or Owen Hart, J.D.? I'm going to say it was the Bulldog. Okay. John? John says Owen Hart, and the answer is J.D. got it. It was the British Bulldog. Sean entered at number one and lasted until the very end. Question number six. Shawn Michaels also won the Royal Rumble in 1996. Who did he last eliminate to win here? Was it Bret Hart, Diesel, Psycho Sid, or Lex Luger? J.D. Sid. You're saying it was Sid. John. John also says Sid. And the answer is, actually, it was Diesel. Sean will enter at number 18 and last eliminate Diesel to win his second straight rumble. Question number seven. Shawn Michaels split his, with his longtime tag team partner, Marty Jannetty, after putting him through a glass window. What talk show did they break up on? Was it, the, was it Piper's Pit, The Barbershop, The Brother Love Show, or The Snake Pit? The barbershop. John? John also says the the barbershop. And the answer is, yep, it was the barbershop. It was, of course, hosted by Brutus the Barber Beefcake. That's right. Question number eight. Who did Shawn Michaels never, I'll repeat this, who did Shawn Michaels never win a tag team title with in his career? Was it John Cena, Diesel, Stone Cold, or Razor Ramon? J.D. I'm going to say Razor Ramon. Okay. And, and John? That also says Ramon, and the answer is? Yeah, it was Razor. Sean won the tag titles with Diesel, Austin, and Cena, but never with his longtime friend, Razor. Question number nine. Shawn Michaels first won the Intercontinental title in 1992. Who did he defeat to win the belt? Was it Bret Hart, Razor Ramon, the British Bulldog, or Tito Santana? J.D. The Bulldog. And the Bulldog. John? Don also says the Bulldog, and the answer was, yep, it was the British Bulldog. This was an, an episode of Saturday Night's Main Event in 1992. And the last question here, guys. Which match did not receive a five-star rating from Dave Meltzer? Was it Sean versus Razor at WrestleMania 10, Sean versus The Undertaker at Bad Blood in 97, or Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker at WrestleMania 25 in 2009. J.D.? C. You're saying, you're saying C? Yeah. Okay. And, John, you say... John also says C, and the answer was... 
That's right. Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker, WrestleMania 25. This match only received a 4.75 out of 5-star rating. Uh, well, guys, we got a few more. We can we can lock on we can lock on the second one here if you want to go if you want to do another. Um, do you like to pick this or do you like to have John pick? The I'll next let John one? take this one. Okay, John. Now remember, um, uh, I don't think you made it on here. Um, now you 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 did the you did the quiz with us, I think, John. Yes. Uh, and then I'm gonna give you this choice these choices right here, John. Uh, Roman Reigns, but, uh, no, we did Becky Lynch last night, uh, but we also got Seth Rollins, Dean Ambrose, Sasha Banks, AJ Styles, Finn Balor, and also we did The Undertaker last night, John. Is there anyone in particular you want to try? Ooh, John is saying Seth Rollins. Okay. We've done that one, too, before, but we'll do it again. Uh, on the, uh, Seth freaking Rollins. Yes, indeed. Okay, John, uh, that's, that's, we'll, we'll, we'll go along with that here. Ten questions, of course, all about one, 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 currently one half of the Raw Tag Team Champions alongside Dean Ambrose. It is, of course, uh, Seth freaking Rollins, as we always say here. Question number one, what year was Seth born? 85, 86, 87, or 88? A.D.? JD. JD, you still with us? I'm back. Okay. All right. Let me re-ask the question. I think JD had to step away. We didn't hear him leave, but uh, he's back on with us. Uh, let me ask, re-ask the question here. JD, of course, as we do this quiz on Seth Rollins, what year was Seth born? 85, 86, 87, or 88? 87. You said 87, and John says 86, and the answer is it was 86. John's got it. Seth was born on May 28, 1986. Question number two. What is Seth's nickname on Xavier Woods' gaming channel, Up, Up, Down, Down? Is it the champ, the future, the architect, or the winner? J.D. Future. You said the future. Uh, John? John, do I need to repeat the question? Okay, apparently John must have had to step away. Um... We're not get we're not receiving him. Um and he will go ahead and say you're at you said the future, we'll go ahead and double check that. And the answer is he's actually the champ. Huh. Seth goes by the champ and for good reason. 
He is the king of Madden, the Madden games among WWE stars. John, are you still with us? Okay. Okay, all right. And John, the answer to that was he was he's known as the champ on the up, up, down, down. Okay. All right, John. All right, question number three here. Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns won the WWE Tag Team titles at Extreme Rules in 2013. What team did they defeat? Was it the Usos, the Primetime Players, Team Hell No, or the team of Cody Rhodes and Goldust, KD? Uh, who did they win against? Who did they defeat to win the tag titles? Team Hell No. Team Hell No. Uh, John? John also says Team Hell No, and the answer is... That's right, it was Team Hell No. Seth Roman defeated Daniel Bryan and Kane to win the titles for the first time. Okay. Question number four. Seth Rollins won the first ever NXT title in 2012. Who did he defeat to win the title? Was it Big E, Jinder Mahal, Keith Slater, or Bo Dallas? J.D. I'm going to say who he won the title from, the NXT title from? Bo Dallas. Yes. You said Bo, Bo, you said Bo Dallas. All right. Wait, uh, wait, 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 wait. The first ever NXT title in 2012. Yeah, I was Jinder. My mistake. I, I thought who he dropped it to. Uh, yeah, it was uh, Jinder. He beat Jinder in the gold. It is Jinder. Okay. And John says, Jinder, juicy steroid, my all. What the heck? <laughs> uh, and the answer is, yeah, it was Jinder Mahal. Seth defeated Jinder in the finals of the NXT Gold Rush Tournament to become the first ever champion. Okay. Question number five. Seth Rollins won the Money in the Bank ladder match in 2014. Who was not involved in that match? Was it RVD, Jack Swagger, Dolph Ziggler, or Cesaro that was not involved in the Money in the Bank ladder match in 2014? JD? JD? Yeah, sorry. Did you, did you hear the question? No, Okay, I will repeat it. Seth Rollins won the Money in the Bank ladder match in 2014. Who was not involved in the match? RVD, Jack Swagger, Dolph Ziggler, or Cesaro? Ziggler. You said Ziggler. John, John, what do you say? John says Cesaro, and the answer is actually it was actually believe it or not it was Cesaro was not involved in that match. Seth defeated Kobe Kingston, Dolph Ziggler, Jack Swagger, RVD, and D and Dean Ambrose to win the briefcase. The answer on that one? Sorry. No, I was just saying the answer. What was it? It was, it was Cesaro that was not involved in the match. John got it. Question number six, Seth was the captain of Team Authority at Survivor Series 2014 against Team Cena. 
who was not a member of his team? Was it the Big Show, Mark Henry, Luke Harper, or Rusev, J.D.? Uh, I'm going to say Big Show. You're saying Big Show. John? John also says Big Show, and the answer is... That's right. And with the Big Show, Rollins teamed up with Luke Harper, Rusev, Mark Henry, and Kane in a losing effort. I do believe the Big Show turned on Team Cena in the middle of that match. So, Question number seven. In Florida Championship Wrestling, Seth Rollins won the FCW Florida Tag Team titles. Who was his partner? Was it Dean Ambrose, Damian Sandow, Richie Steamboat, or Curtis Axel? J.D. Richie Steamboat. You're saying Steamboat. Uh, John? John says Curtis Axel. The answer is, he got it. It was Richie Steamboat. Seth and Richie, of course, Richie the son, the legendary Ricky Steamboat, won the titles from Damian Sandow and Titus O'Neil. And one more set to go before, of course, we close out the evening. <clears throat> uh, question number eight right here. Let me this out of here. Okay. True or false? Seth Rollins has wrestled for TNA before. True or false, J.D.? True. You're saying true. John? John also says true, and the answer is... Yep, it's true. Seth performed there as Tyler Black, lost a tag team match, the Latin American Exchange on a 2006 episode of Impact. Question number nine. Which WWE star did Seth Rollins, who at the time was known as Tyler Black, win the ROH world title from? Was it Austin Aries, Kevin Owens, Roderick Strong, or Sami Zayn? JD. I'm going to say Roderick Strong. Say Roderick Strong. John? John also says Roderick Strong, and the answer is... Actually, it was Austin Aries. Seth won the ROH title from Aries at the 8th anniversary show. He eventually lost the belt to Roderick Strong. So you had, you were close on that, too. And the final question here, guys. Seth suffered a major knee injury during a live event on November 4, 2015. He tore his ACL, MCL, and Medina meniscus. He was out of action for several months, forcing him to drop the WWE title. Who was his opponent during the live event? Kane. Was it Dean Ambrose, Roman Reigns, Kane, or John Cena? J.D. Kane. I didn't hear you. So. Kane. Okay. okay. And John? John also says Kane, and the answer is... Yep, it was Kane. Seth attempted a sunset foot powerbomb and blew out his knee. Well, guys, that was some good questions, some good questions, good answering there. Thank you very much there, folks. And I also have to apologize, ladies and gentlemen. Our live video did cut out 
at some point during the show. I'm not sure when it happened, but I did not realize it. So <clears throat> on that note here, folks, I do want to thank the Iceman, J.D., Jared DiGirolamo, and the Human Space Machine, John Gross, for joining us here this evening for episode number 389 of the Mothership Broadcast, WWS Revolution. All right, and uh, John says, of course, he's he's already left. Thank you very much, Sir John. Uh, of course, be sure to join us tomorrow afternoon, tomorrow evening, ladies and gentlemen, for, of course, our Double Dose Part 2. As of course, first off, we'll have <clears throat> Top Heel Inc. Of course, uh, of course, uh, the NWM Madness Kingdom getting back together again for another big-time uh, uh, big time uh, healed-up wrestling discussion, of course, by everything going on from Raw to SmackDown to No Mercy, of course, more talk uh, uh, by areas, all the wrestling uh, stories coming uh, popping up here and there, of course. And then, of course, ladies and gentlemen, NWO Wolfpack will be back on here tomorrow night with our live video feed coming from WCWS Dynasty. Of course, we'll have the latest wrestling news and views and latest hit history and birthdays. <clears throat> and also, of course, a few little wrestling extras and a few other big-time talk here about all the current events going on at this time. For the Iceman, J.D., Jared D. Geralmo, and the Human Suplex Machine, John Gross, and also the remaining members of the panel, way too tough to handle. This is Mr. WWS, Chad Hinshaw, saying thank you so much for joining us here tonight, and we will talk to you here tomorrow from Top Hill Inc. and NWO Wolfpack. Revolution is a broadcast of the WWS Radio Network right here on TalkShoe.com, where we're two years older and continuing to be bolder. The radio network continues to be and will forever remain your wrestling connection. Gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us. Take care of yourselves and each other. <clears throat> See you in the ring. And as always, here in the WWS Radio Network right here on TalkShoot.com. God bless everyone. And have a great evening. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.